I'm Carla Grace Walk, and these are just some thoughts on a Sunday. And what I do on these up weekly updates is I just share a few thoughts and also give an update about where we are in our efforts to help some Afghan Christians who, on their immigration journey, they um, escaped the Taliban. Uh, most of them are currently in uh, Pakistan, although we do have a few people in other places. But um, anyway. This is just a weekly update, and I usually share a little bit about how I got involved in this just because it is kind of a crazy story, but I got involved because my friend Mark, and I can't even find his, oh, here he is, um, asked me to help him teach some of his Bible studies. Um, he had been involved in, uh, or he had a Bible study ministry started in Pakistan via Zoom starting since um, 2020 and I started helping him in 2021 and then in October of 2022 things were getting pretty intense and hostile for Afghans in Islamabad or and Pakistan as a whole um, and so we started trying to help them um, get their status legal so they wouldn't be deported and it, it just expanded and so it's been a little bit of a crazy ride since then. Um, then his friend Don Shire um, started helping us, and he actually has a ministry uh, at donshireministries.org, and he has partnered with us in that anything that is um, donated to his ministry, if you select Race to Walk, it will go towards this effort. So anyway, um, that's what we're doing. It's... Um, it, it's a little bit of a bizarre situation. Again, I got involved, you know, I was asked to help teach a Bible study and uh, that I feel very confident in doing, but um, all the rest of it has been a learning experience. So not only learning about different immigration paths, but uh, just how things work in Pakistan, their whole process, as well as um, learning about all the things I never paid attention to in international affairs. And uh, I was in 2021 when the evacuation was going on, I was super focused on COVID and tracking our local COVID numbers every day. And so I knew what was going on, but didn't really, uh, that was a crazy year. There was a lot of things going on and I didn't really um, even know a lot of the details until I started going back and reading about it um, once I started helping them. And so it's been, it's been an experience and it's been an education. One of the things that I've noticed is that um, really people aren't any different uh, there than they are here, that a lot of times, um, a lot of the misery is caused by corruption. And last week, um, the topic of the stream was the destruction of detachment, like people just not really caring. And this is kind of, I would say, a little bit a, a part two of that. And I haven't done this before, but I'm actually going to read an article that kind of got me a little bit riled up this week. I was going to write something about it. And again, there's been a lot of stuff going on and I just have not had time. But there was an article that came out. Oh, was it? It was on the 5th. This is in the Baptist News. And the title of the article is Why I Have Empathy for Karen Swallow Cryer. I'm just going to read this. And when you look at this, you're like, oh, it's a nice article. What's your issue with it? 
I will share this. I'm glad you could join us. Uh, I will share it why this upsets me a little bit. So I'm just going to start and read it. Um, I've been struggling with regret lately, specifically in feeling like I wasted my whole academic career given how things have turned out, tweeted Karen Swallow Pryor three months after resigning from the faculty of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. As the semester ended and the dust began to settle, Pryor reflected on her career as a professor. She was experiencing generally just a long bout of feeling sorry for myself, for sure, as I question everything. Pryor hasn't shared the details of how she was affected by these politics behind the scenes, but given the SBC's focus on women teaching and the hidden battles in Christian higher education and the social media-driven politics of the SBC, one can only imagine what her private questions may be. No matter what she may feel comfortable sharing publicly, many Christians across the theological spectrum resonate with her reflection, questioning, and wrestling prior progressives in the power of the politics of the SBC. When the former Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary president, uh, Paige Patterson, said a 16-year-old body was built, prior joined an effort by Southern Baptist women to write a letter calling him out. The letter was 3,000 women saying, the emperor has no clothes, she said at the time, and I think it just simply sent notice that the gig was up. One might wonder, based on her speaking truth to power through the years, if she is a secret is secretly a progressive Christian, but Pryor remains committed to conservative theology and pro-life politics, despite the conservative men who hurt her. So while Pryor's theological wonders may differ from progressive Christians and ex-evangelicals who lean to the left, she shares a common wound with us, a wound of being dismissed and demonized by powerful men. The gift of Pryor's vulnerability in sharing her regret is that it's a reminder for all of us about our own similar wounds. Our neighbor's pain is a window into our own struggle. After I left the Independent Fundamental Baptist in 2000, I served for the next two decades in conservative, evangelical, complementarian Calvinist churches. We moved out to Denver in 2004 to help plant a church where I led worship in small groups. Because my undergraduate Bible degree from an unaccredited university was a hard sell to employers, I decided to do what I knew how to do, janitorial and floor cleaning. I figured it could pay our bills and give me some flexibility to invest significant time in the church for free. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. There's so many of those uh, universities, Christian universities are unaccredited and people do not realize like just how worthless those degrees are. Anyway, let's continue. Five years later, we had to leave our church due to spiritual abuse. The pastor, who had resigned in the middle of a divorce, was threatening to start an alternative church because we wouldn't reinstate him or let him continue preaching. Then he attempted to perform church discipline on us. In one meeting, I sat calmly for seven hours while he brought a myriad of accusations against me that were completely unfounded. All the other leaders agreed that the accusations were false. But his threat of replanting and taking half the church remained, and for the sake of the gospel, we didn't want to see the church split, so we left quietly, knowing what it would mean for our reputations. After we left, his two friends appointed themselves as elders and called him back to, the past, to be pastor. 
We soon found ourselves in a sovereign grace church, which we loved at the time, but then we learned about the abuse that C.J. Mahaney and other Sovereign Grace apostles and pastors were credibly accused of, so once again we had to leave. After moving back to South Carolina, we joined a megachurch where I volunteered leading worship. Since my resume consisted of a, of a decade in voluntary church roles and cleaning, nobody would hire me. So I I started my cleaning business again in order to have the flexibility to invest myself in our new church for free. I drove my body into the ground for the church. Spending so much time on the church took my focus away from my cleaning business, which led to financial difficulties. I had stress-induced shingles at age 35. We had two 20-year-old vehicles with no air conditioning, one of which my wife drove around in the South Carolina heat during three pregnancies. Seven years later, while I was heading leading worship, one of the pastors said something from the stage that was so personally hurtful that I looked down into the congregation and saw my wife crying. Much hurt had led to this moment, and I simply didn't have the strength to lead anymore. So I set my guitar down, walked off the stage, and haven't led worship since. And then he writes, I'm deeply hurt, and am I complicit? Becoming aware of my own wounds led to becoming aware of my neighbor's wounds. The common factor in these wounds are men at the top of a sacralized hierarchy living out their gospel through abusive power dynamics of authority and dominion while requiring submission and obedience. Eventually, I began to notice the way these men positioned themselves in expressing sovereignty and power over others was eerily similar to the dynamics of the gospel of expressing sovereignty and power over others, and thus my theological deconstruction began. After all, I spent 20 years promoting their dynamics and institutions that kept these men in charge. What's more, I left quietly for the sake of the gospel. In the years following our departure from the church we, we planted in debt, Denver, dozens of members reached out to me privately to say that they also had been abused by the leadership. So I wondered, could I have prevented their abuse if I'd stood up to the abusers more? In 2022, I received a message from a conservative evangelical pastor who was part of a recent merger with the church we had planted nearly 20 years earlier. After they merged, this pastor said they were experiencing some very unhealthy leadership. Regarding our former pastor, he said, to be honest, at this point, it is what it is when it comes to him and his ministry. Then he added, he is something else for sure. The church we planted back in 2004 now has been replanted multiple times under different names with the same three men in charge, the two self-appointed elders, and our abusive pastor. After 13 years since reinstating our former pastor, they've added just one other elder. That's two decades of abuse that perhaps I could have prevented if I hadn't left quietly for the sake of the gospel. As we might imagine, with the theological and church journey we've been on, the relationships in our lives are complex. We have friends and relatives who love Donald Trump, who think John MacArthur and Douglas Wilson are virtually inerrant, others who are atheists and everything in between. In some ways, it reminds me of Pryor, who has taken flack from people on the right over the liberals she's been willing to befriend. But none of those differences are the focus of the great suffering. When Ruth Ellen, my wife, was diagnosed with cancer and our common human suffering, we all met face to face. And perhaps I, why I felt a sense of empathy for Karen Swallow Pryor, even if our one, okay, I'm sorry, that just does not flow at all. Anyway, totally, totally would have edited that if it, I had been the editor on it. Still makes sense. Okay, anyway, 
even if our wounds are different, we share some common wounds, wounds from the abuse those above us hurt us with and wrestling with regret over so many years we spent in those institutions, given how it turned out. With all the deconstruction I've done coming together in common human suffering is perhaps the aspect of Christian theology that still resonates with me the most. Beneath all the atonement theories, justice theologies, and methods of hermeneutics is a story about God and humanity coming together in the common human sufferings of pregnancy, childbirth, life, and death. It's there in the seeping together of breath, blood, and soil that a claim of union is made. It's union where what is and what becomes begins by remembering what is lost. When I left the conservative evangelical churches I was a part of, they eventually erased every sermon I preached, every song I wrote, every album I, I led. After everything I gave them, it's as if I never existed. When I posted a thread on Twitter about this talk, one person reached out and said, I've traveled a similar path as a former teacher in a Christian school. Once you leave, it's as if you died. My whole identity was wrapped up in what I believed to be my calling. When I felt led to move on, I knew it was right, but I felt like everything to that point was a waste. Another former pastor responded, I see both sides. As an ex-evangelical pastor who has lost a lot in the leaving, it feels so devastating. On the other hand, I'm grateful for many of those experiences and people who made me who I am today. Grief and gratitude go hand in hand in the weird, weirdest of ways. Many of my cleaning churches, as a worship leader, I met with men in charge to strategize with them about magnifying the supremacy of God. As a janitor, I wiped off urine off the toilets. I saw the entire tower from the top floor on down to the sewer lines. Between those experiences and my theological training, know how the tower functions. I would not be able to be present in my writing with the depth of insight I've had if I had not been present in this context with the depth of commitment I had. And no matter how much those men erase what I published, they can't erase what I saw and learned. The true work isn't a capitalistic accomplishment of something outside ourselves, even in the name of ministry. But it's in the presence of becoming what happens within ourselves and among one another. Like evolution, we hold the entire journey of the universe in our bodies, most of what has been lost to time, and yes, is a part of who we are. In booked literature in the soul of me, prior says freedom is not an endless sea of choices, but an acceptance embrace of both the nature and grace of the core of our being and our becoming. The nature of our being is that our body, minds, and souls are the fruit of our past becoming. When we process this reality through self-awareness, we observe ourselves to our neighbors. And so we who are called to love our neighbors as ourselves end up loving ourselves as our neighbors. Another famous former evangelical pastor who left his context and had to his context and had to process these same feelings was Rob Bell. In one podcast, looking back on his journey, Bell said, I love all the me's. We love all the you's. We love all the earlier you's. Then he continued, would I write some of that now? No. Am I interested in some of the same things? No. What do I do? I just smile. That guy was giving it everything he had. Yeah, I was doing what I could do with what I had at the time. And I did my best to write it down. And so I made peace with a long time ago, and you can too. You love all the yous. And if somebody says, well, this is a lot different than what you used to write. Yeah, it's called maturity. It's called growth. It's called evolution. It's called expansion. And I figured I'd join in with my writing and my words. Pryor concluded her tweet by saying, I don't know why the Lord is so kind to me, but he is. 
he is. If Christian theology turns out to be true, perhaps the kindness of God is directly tied to God meeting us in our common human suffering. When Jesus said during his suffering, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing, perhaps he was feeling his neighbor's suffering in his own suffering. And maybe that's the kindness of grace that we need to reflect towards ourselves, a grace that forgives our past selves because we don't know what we were doing, but we were giving it all we had. Okay, I just have to say, the thing that just annoys, just really riles me up about this, first of all, there's a lot of, okay, needed some editing. It was some logic that did not flow. Also, it's like, oh, I was just going with our contacts. I had to leave my contacts behind. Well, maybe it deserved to be left. Maybe you had a really bad context. And then in the part where he's talking about, well, would it have been different if he had said something and had stood up against the, the, uh, the manipulators? Yeah, yeah, the answer is yes. Yes, it would have been. I mean, at least it would have been, would it have changed those people? Who knows? You don't know, but you were a bunch of wusses and just lay down and play dead and let them continue on. But I can tell you for a fact that if you had stood up to them, you would not be continually getting into the same situation over and over and over again. You would not have been spent 20 years being used and abused. I mean, to me, it's just a bunch of self-indulgent drivel. You know, it's like making, making some sort of uh, virtue out of being a coward. There's no virtue in being a coward. There's no virtue in being a coward. This is the thing. There's a lot of people out there in the Christian church that just think that um, the, the main priority is just not rocking the boat and not making anybody feel uncomfortable. That's not it. I don't know what Bible you're reading, but Jesus made people so uncomfortable that they wanted to kill him. They did kill him. They, the religious leaders, the people he's calling out all the time, they manipulated his death. Okay, so that is, he was not conformable and he was not a comfortable person to be around if you were doing wrong. Secondly, you know, this is the thing. It's like people, I, I did a whole series of updates about manipulators and how they would just you know, they keep, they keep on going if you allow them to. You have to like stand up against them. So this is the thing. This is a different, actually a different thread, a different topic. Oh, this is Diane Langberg. She had a, had a tweet about, she's really amazing to uh, follow. She talks a lot about um, abuse in the church and specifically sexual abuse, but she's really amazing. But this is a thread. This is a common thread. I have not today, but when I get all this up, I have an article on my website at racewalk.org for this episode. And I have links to a ton, a ton of different articles um, that are related to this. This is a tweet in response to somebody who said that they were, um, they were, had just um, stood up to someone who was being really abusive and harassing them. Uh, she was worked in a university. And this person said that it really takes, you know, you have to stand up against them. And it, what really helps is having some friends who will stand with you. But if everybody's concerned about just keeping things comfortable and they're not being a problem, then nobody's going to be standing for anything, are they? So anyway, I, there's another tweet. I don't know if I have it up here. Oh, I don't. It's missing. It's the missing tweets by... Streamyard. This is going to be in my um, 
in the article. There's a tweet by Christy Stats. She actually works for, I think, the Immigration Council or something. Works in immigration anyway. And she was saying that um, The Order of the Phoenix is her favorite Harry Potter um, film. And it talks about, like, she's like, whose side would you have been on? Would you have been on Voldemort's or Dumbledore's army? And everybody, you know, we always, like, try to... think we identify with the heroes but this is the thing heroes stand they don't like go along with the crowd and honestly there's a lot of people who think they're heroes and really they're not even villains they don't even have enough oomph to be even have credit as a villain they're just like nothings like just giving and feeding uh the villains giving them steam so that's the whole thing you have to like be willing to stand against things even when it's hard i mean yeah, there's manipulators in church, and but they're going to keep on doing it as long as, as long as people don't say anything. So I'm going to go uh, move on from there. But again, cowardice is not a virtue. Cowardice is not a virtue. I, and if, if you don't ever upset anybody or make anybody mad, maybe maybe you might like want to think twice about that. You may be a little bit too conformable. I think. So, moving on for that, what happened in the last week? This was a, um, and the reason I'm bringing this up, this is a pipe bomb. There were three pipe bombs in Washington, D.C. I think it was on the 3rd. I don't know if it was, I think it was on the 3rd, like the early morning on the 3rd. And uh, there really weren't very many, um, there weren't very many stories about it at all, like hardly any. And it was kind of weird. And one of the, the Afghans in our group sent me a message, his connections with NRF. He is convinced that it was a terrorist attack. And um, I don't know, I mean, it could have been. It's hard to say though, because we have like a lot of homegrown terrorists, honestly. I mean, this, if you were watching any of the, uh, in the news articles, there were mass shootings, like literally like all over, like starting like in Saturday and through the 4th. I have article after article on my website, and uh, the the numbers of of, um, of shootings has just skyrocketed. It just even in the past year. Personally, I think I think there's a lot of things, but I think part of it probably has to do with COVID. Um, we had so many people that just have had COVID multiple times, and there's a, I don't have screenshots of this, but. They've just studies that, um, you know, when people lost their sense of smell, it actually was brain damage or the olfactory cortex. And that, the olfactory cortex actually plays a role in how we process and regulate emotions and like, you know, synthesize these external things that happen and how we feel about them and react to them. And so when that's damaged, you have, basically you have a lot of brain damaged people running around that are um, what they've they found it's like when that's damaged also leads to aggression so i mean it's no surprise and then we have like states all over the place that are letting like every single uh yes you and me both yeah people i mean what does nice mean nice is just means you don't make people uncomfortable i don't really it's not another virtue yeah gotta just stir things up sometimes there's sometimes things need to be stirred up so Back to uh, 
COVID. Yeah, I, I think that's probably plays a role in it too. So anyway, what else came over the fourth? Oh yeah. So this is a guy, Z Zalmay Kalzad is a, he's an Af Afghan American, I guess. He is the co-author of the Doha Agreement. And he, he oh, this, this really irritated me because he's basically um, posting to his fellow Afghans not to, uh, not to criticize the U.S. and their actions. Like, look at everything that the, the uh, Americans went through. Like, dude, you just need to, like, just chill. We had, here's the thing that people remember. I had a slide. I don't know if it's up here anymore. Oh, yeah, this one I love. This is a, the meme that somebody posted that is just kind of a conspiracy theory about the American Revolution. The thing is, we had, we didn't do it all on our own. We had help. The France basically bankrupted themselves, um, funding us, the rebels, you know, uh, against the British because the British were their enemies. And so saying you should be able to stand up, like saying that the Afghans should have just been able to stand up when we handed everything over to them was completely ridiculous. If you want to see all the articles about just how deadly the 4th of July weekend was, you can go to my website and I'll have that as up. But this is what was going on uh, also in the United States. So this is a Afghan ally that was, um, he's an SIV that came to the U.S. He was, he's one of the few that's been evacuated here. He lived in, if you go and read the article, um, he lived, he was first resettled in Philadelphia, but he was held up by gunpoint. And so he thought it was too dangerous. And so then he went to, um, moved to Washington, D.C. And he was working two jobs. One of them was an Uber driver. And he was uh, had to make money for rent. And he was like going out for another ride at midnight. And he was shot. And um, they have a, they were able to see, you know, there was a nest recording that was shooting in that area, that was recording in that area. It was four kids boys and um sounds like they were going to try to steal the car he thought he was reaching for something and so they shot him and killed him so he um worked as an interpreter for 10 years uh survived the taliban but didn't survive a year in the u.s so i think that is um <laughs> says a lot uh so anyway what have what has been going on in Afghanistan? So the latest thing, Taliban has banned salons. <laughs> That's illegal now. Um, there's a, a man who's an educator who's speaking out for education for girls. And um, he's, still, he's still, he's been in jail since March, still in jail. This is an article from Steven Jensen, uh, who is, he's a really good person to follow about, to find out like, you know, kind of the history of our involvement in Afghanistan as well as Afghanistan history. He is writing a book and I haven't listened to it yet, but he was on a podcast. I don't even know. I'll see if I can find it and link to it in the um, article that I put on my website. But he, um, you know, he just points out that you know, Afghan Afghanistan as a country prior to the Taliban has a long history of educating women. Then this is a story about a lady who was um, forced into marriage with a Taliban official. 
and then she basically wouldn't submit to him so they put her they arrested her and she was in jail and then they were torturing her in jail this is the Taliban so if you see any um, any leaders or officials talking about how the Taliban are the good guys and that there are partners against terrorism as a complete and total lie. That's their gaslighting. This is a Taliban. They are terrorists and thugs. Another story of um, forced marriage. And so this is the thing on this one. There was a guy who paid $30,000 uh, to marry a 16 year old. And most of the time, they don't pay them. They take them from their family. So this is the second one. This is another Taliban official that um, basically stole the wife of another man. So that's the thing. Like the guy who's giving basically a dowry for the 16-year-old, he's actually less, I mean, he's kind of a good guy among the Taliban. And then another story. This just in the last week. There was a female doctor that was beaten by the Taliban because uh, she's a uh, midwife and uh, she gave the baby some sort of injection. The baby died and so the Taliban beat her. And that's not the only case of Taliban persecuting doctors, medical doctors. They're terrorists and they're thugs. This is a, another story. There were Afghans that were shot at the Iranian border. It's just, just generally, I mean, it's, they're at risk in the countries surrounding Afghanistan. They're, you know, Afghan allies are at risk um, in Afghanistan, it's just not a good situation. One of the things that I've been listening to lately is just to kind of get up to speed on the situation is a podcast named Generation Jihad. And uh, one of the ones that I was listening to this week, it was talking about what episode 22, the um, host said that Bin Laden was actually a conspiracy theorist. And the whole motivation of not the whole motivation because this also has roots in Islamic uh, eschatology, but they are, uh, they want to have this worldwide caliphate because they think that there is this conspiracy against them. This is another post by Stephen Jensen. Um, he is just talking about like how we just completely, we completely abandon our allies. And there's just so much gaslighting about it. There's just so much manipulation. And the thing is, like going back to our the article I started with, it's because it's not comfortable and it's not easy. It's like people don't want to admit that they're wrong. They don't want to do the hard work. It's a very hairy mess in Afghanistan. And so it's just easier just to pretend like the, the Taliban are the good guys rather than doing the hard work. Okay, so... Choices. I don't think Jesus was rude most of the time. He just didn't validate validate BS. That's true. But he also he didn't pull his punches either. I mean, he called. He was very. Um, he. I mean, when you, especially in John, especially if you go back and read the Gospel of John, I mean, he called them children of Satan. He said that they weren't truly, um, truly descendants of Abraham. Super insulting. I mean, that is like as far as Jews who. Uh, base their whole identity in being descendants of Abraham, that was like super, super insulting. It's like, no, he said, no, you're not. It'd be like me tell, telling somebody, yeah, you're not really a Christian. I mean, he, he was not, he was, he said some pretty harsh things. 
And Paul, I mean, he calls people out by name. Ezekiel, I mean, so Hosea was basically calling the Israelites whores. You know, I mean, there's a lot of strong words in the Bible. I mean, we think about, uh, we've been in Jeremiah for um, our Bible study lessons. And um, Jeremiah was super young. God told him to go and stand in the temple and tell him that they were all hypocrites and were going to be condemned. So there's very, very, yeah, go read John. Other thing this week, um, what was this one? So Pence is lying about the fact that he was, this just came out. He was saying that Trump didn't want to pull out all of our troops. That's a total lie. He was trying to remove everyone by January. The, the original agreement from the Doha agreement was May 2021. And Trump tried to pull everyone out by January 2021 when he lost in November. He tried to give those orders to accelerate the timeline so it could cause maximum chaos for Biden because he had lost. So it's like people, you know, they just try to, um, I don't know. It's just manipulators. I mean, it's just manipulators. It's just, you call people out like this. It's a lie. I mean, and if if all your justification is based on a lie, then really, yeah, so PJ Joe, I don't mean it's the worst one I have them, but I'm not so confrontational. I'm kind of up in the air. I don't really, I've never really considered myself an aggressive person, but it's the thing. There's been so much um, pressure to conform to things that um, I, I think I give an equal response. So, um, and sometimes people think that's aggressive. So it is, it is. This is another thing that um, it's not directly related to this, but to our whole effort in Afghanistan. But it is in that when I've been having my classes with the Afghans, we've talked some about the Declaration of Independence, our Constitution, you know, like what it is that we believe that all are created equal. And that really has a lot of meaning to them because they're, I've mentioned this before, their society is very unequal. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of prejudice, you know, even within Afghanistan. Like, you know, so Pakistan has a lot of prejudice against India, and um, Pakistan and Afghanistan are kind of uneasy. But there's a lot of a lot of tribalism. You know, Pashtuns are usually the dominant tribe there, and so there's there's a lot of um, a lot of uh, racism, a lot of um, partiality, um, just in the society. And so when we've talked about, you know, our constitution, that all are created equal and that that is the philosophy that's based on that really has you know, a lot to them and they really appreciated that. But this is a tweet that um, I saw was really awesome. This is on the 4th of the 4th of July, but uh, this is just a comment about America as a country. So the British prime minister, Margaret Thatcher famously once said, Europe was created by history America was created by philosophy. Nearly all European nations trace their beginning to a common ethnic kinship or cultural characteristic, but America was created by exiles united in voluntary assent to a shared political beliefs. That's why British writer G.K. Chesterton visited the United States for the first time and remarked that nation America was a nation with the soul of a church, not because of its religiosity, but because of a common creed enshrined in sacred texts of the Declaration 
of independence and constitution. In 1776, a near miraculous stew of ideas and leaders came together to form a declaration of independence. And 11 years later, an equally miraculous gathering formed the constitution, both centered on a belief in universal human dignity. Government does not grant you the right to free speech, assembly, religion, press, protest, or redress of grievances. We believe that these rights are inalienable, and the government's role is simply to protect those rights and ensure human dignity. Government is just a tool, not a source. That's really a remarkably profound idea we take for granted and fail to celebrate enough. Of course, the sad irony is that the very founders who argued these ideas so frequently fell short of the same principles. Some owned slaves and nearly all opposed equal rights for women. So naturally, it caused upheaval when 19th century Americans increasingly adopted a view that held that all men are created equal, including black Americans, and a few generations it came to encompass women as well. Abraham Lincoln believed that the Declaration of Independence did not necessarily proclaim people equal in all respects. Instead, it meant that all people were created with certain equal inalienable rights. They are ours by right of simply being human, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. A free society should always strive to achieve these equal rights, even if, as the case of the founders, it fell short of that goal in the past. The Declaration's concept of equality is an aspiration. Lincoln said, continually look to, constantly labor for, and even though never perfectly attained, constantly approximated, and thereby constantly spreading and deepening its influence, and augment, augmenting the happiness and value of life to all people of all colors everywhere. This is the genius of Lincoln's argument that the Constitution is concrete, at least until amended. But the Declaration of Independence is aspirational. And the American project is a move towards that aspiration. Despite its roots in American independence, the 4th of July is incomplete with under, without understanding and celebrating Lincoln too. His unique view of the Declaration as an aspirational goal helped properly frame American independence for what it was and what it was bound to be. So I thought that was an awesome reminder. Yeah. Yes, the Constitution only clarifies our God-given rights. Yes, we have those rights because we are imagers of God and he gave them to us and no one can take them from us. So I think that's, um, I don't know, it just makes me, um, it makes me sad when uh, I see so many people that um, don't seem to believe that or just think that they have more rights or more equal than other people, I guess. So anyway, but as far as what we're doing for um, this past week with uh, my Afghan friends, it's been kind of an interesting week. So I started out like I knew nothing about anything, just kind of had to learn as I go. And uh, this week, the thing that's kind of blown my mind a little bit is I've had multiple things come up. There was an issue and I just knew I had somebody I could go to for it. I had somebody I connect, connect, somebody had need, I could connect them with uh, someone and it didn't even take that much effort. So I guess I'm getting to be a little more, I don't know what I am, not official, but at least I, I, I guess I have a little bit, 
know a little bit more about what I'm doing. But the other thing is that I've mentioned, I mention this almost every week. We are looking everywhere, anywhere we can find for people. So we're looking to raise money to um, help some, some of the Afghans that want to move to Brazil. Uh, we're looking at Canadian options. We have, uh, there's one family that is in Germany right now. I don't even know how they got there, honestly. But um, I have to find out, like, kind of help them get in to get asylum. So we're looking anywhere and everywhere. But as far as the United States, they have, most of them have that are eligible for applications have applications in, although I just discovered this week there's a couple people that haven't. And then somebody said, oh, well, it takes a long time for these U.S. applications. Yeah, it does, but you have no choice no hope at all if you don't ever apply it's like if there's an option apply for it oh anyway and the same thing about UNHCR the refugee certifications they should have them already they don't because the Pakistan um, UNHCR offices are not operating as they should and they tell me I can't you know they're not doing it it's like I know I know that they're they don't normally but they are giving out these refugee certifications. So keep following up and asking them. Just keep asking. It's like, I ask crazy questions all the time and like, just keep pushing on it anyway. So, because we, we have, we actually have had some, one guy, I, this is the, uh, the chicken farmer, the miracle worker. He, he has UNHCR certificates in hand, plus a referral to Germany. So Germany is actually starting to move people. That is a thank you, Jesus. But going back to the U.S., so the passing for them, like the, um, I need to start like going after employment visas too because there's a lot of people, a lot of skills, and so I need to be looking at that too. But anyway, so but the other thing that I mention all the time is Welcome Corps, which is um, is another path that opened up on in January this year, and right now the only people that are in this program are people who have been designated in the refugee system for a long time and so private sponsors can sponsor refugee families but supposedly anytime now mid this year it's supposed to open up so that the sponsor groups can refer in refugee families so um that's what we've really been waiting for and hoping for i mean we've been looking everywhere i mean i we're not waiting on this but we're this is as far as U U.S. path. I'm hoping that this will be uh, a little faster than everything else. But um, the translator, the first translator that we had, that uh, this is who has siblings that are in Islamabad. And she lives in Washington State. She shared a. It was a Facebook post that didn't have any link at all, and it just said there was something about Welcome Corps on college campuses. And there was no link. And so I didn't have time to look it up. But it looks like it's progressing. But I don't know what that means. So um, I don't know. Hopefully that's getting a little closer. But the other thing that we really need to work on is helping all our people uh, learn English. There was a, a post that came out by uh, Lark Escobar. She uh, uh, works in... I don't know if it's her job, but she's very active in evacuation um, of Afghan allies. But she was saying that there's a lot of um, 
families that are in the U.S. that have been in the U.S. that are struggling because just they don't want to believe it, that both husband and wife must work full time and must be fully proficient in English. Some end up homeless and some are returning to Afghanistan. I cannot emphasize English fluency enough. So um, we're going to have to work on that. And um, we have some people. Okay, so what's progression on call? Okay, so the reference to Washington. One of the people that was translating to begin with, she doesn't anymore because I have Afghans that are in Islamabad that are translate for me. But there's a lady that lives in, in Vancouver, Washington. And um, she has two of her siblings are in my Bible study in Islamabad. And she... Um, her story is that she came to the U.S. 15 years ago on a teacher exchange program and she became a Christian, didn't go back, and the Taliban killed her youngest brother in retaliation. They left his body, he's 13, they left his body with um, outside their front door and with a letter on it saying that they were going to, you know, they couldn't get to her but they could get to her family and they would kill, kill them all. She was granted asylum. Um, she got her her parents, and I'm assuming her youngest sister was young enough that could come under her parents' um, application. She got them to the U.S., and they are both, they're all U.S. citizens now. But um, the rest of her family, she has two brothers that escaped through Iran, and they're in Europe. But there are two, two siblings, a brother and a sister, that are in Islamabad. They escaped Pakistan after it fell. And they have family reunification visas in with them. Since 2015, that has nothing's happened. They have SIV applications in because both the brother and law uh, worked on a U.S. based project. They work for I IDS International. IDS International is blowing them off, isn't giving them a letter of recommendation. Uh, they do have a referral from the head of the Afghan company they're working for. So, so it's questionable whether that's even going to work. And she filed uh, humanitarian parole applications for them under the P2 path. So, uh, and that was last year. But those aren't being processed at all. So what we're hoping is that when phase two opens up uh, of Welcome Corps, that she will be able to sponsor them through Welcome Corps, even though she has three, they have applications under three other paths. So if you're in Washington State, Send me, send me an email at um, contact at racetowalk.org. Um, she's the one, she sent me that uh, there was some mention of Welcome Court and college campuses, but I, I don't know what it means yet because I haven't had time to research it. She just, it was last night when she sent it and I, I haven't had time to go through it. So it wouldn't just be for Washington State. It's just that the person who shared it is in Washington State, if that makes sense. But yeah, so we'll just see. I'm hoping that moves. I'm hoping that moves and that it's fast because if you look at the stories about, it's similar to the sponsor circles that the Ukrainians and Venezuelans come in on, under or came in, I don't know if they still are, but um, if you, there's articles out there about the before and after, about before they implemented sponsor circles and afterwards, and the Ukrainians that came in after they implemented the sponsor circles, it was 
really smooth and those that were applying before uh, this were still kind of in a mess. The, at the end of 2021, there was a um, pilot program for Afghans like in that initial withdrawal and resettlement where they did some of the same thing where they had private sponsorship of, I don't know if it was exactly like that though. I don't know, but it shut down after 2021 and then they moved it to, they basically made it available for only Ukrainians and Venezuelans. But at that, that pilot program, there was a lot of people involved here in Houston, like Lakewood helped resettle a huge number of people. There were a lot of churches that, that did so. Anyway, I'm hoping it would be faster. I'm really hoping because all of it's just uh, the applications as they are, like SAV applications are super slow. It's really kind of, you know, I watch um, some of the, the comments and updates on um, Twitter about, you know, who's getting doing what. Uh, Lark actually posted something saying, oh, if you haven't heard, if you have an SIV application and you haven't heard from the care team, then you need to follow up with them and then follow up every month. So I asked somebody else, I said, well, what, what is that? And they said, well, it's only going to apply to them if it comes out of comm approval. So this is the this SIV application process. That's a special immigration visa for people who work as translators and things like that. This step one is the comm approval. And so the people that we have, that I have in my group, that have SIV applications, they haven't, they've had their application go through, there's like a, there's third party contractors that look at the applications, make sure they have all their stuff in. And then they send it to the comm approval, which is with the state department to be reviewed and whether it's approved or not. That's where everybody is at. That whole process doesn't start until it comes out of comm approval. And I don't have one person that's come out of comm approval yet. And it's actually questionable about whether, you know, the Sarah, the lady in Washington state, if her siblings, if it's even going to work first, the SIV approval, because again, IDS International won't send out a letter of recommendation. I was talking to somebody this week. They said that the, um, for the SIV applicants, that the American supervisor has to be contacted they submit an application and somebody, somebody in the State Department will actually call and verify the information for that application with that American supervisor. So if IDS International is giving them a letter of recommendation and it's somebody told me that they have loosened it up a little bit so that companies with like they were working for an, um, an Afghan contractor directly they have a letter there, but if they're not going to call, you know, it's just, it's kind of a mess. So it should be passed for them, but, um, I don't know. So hopefully, hopefully we can, it's just crazy because they already have two applications saying that this family is at risk. You think this is be a slam dunk, a no brainer, but we don't do things logically, I guess. So anyway, but yeah, yep. It'd be a lot easier if things were clear. And, oh, I think I mentioned this last week. There was a new Canadian um, immigration um, employment-based visa path, but um, do they have to? 
think they have to have, no, they don't. They don't have to have the UNHCR certification, but they don't have to have it. If they don't have it, then they have to go and get certified. Yes, miracles and prayers needed. This is exactly what we need. This is what I've been telling them. God's going to have to open the door because it is crazy. It, it's just like, it's the same process. But, you know, sometimes those things happen. I mean, people are immigrating here. There are people coming. And so, you know, I've been telling them that they need to be known as, you know, as Christians. And uh, I think I mentioned this last week, one of our people actually, he was referred by a pastor to the New Zealand embassy, but he didn't, his English wasn't strong enough. And so he could, he didn't, he couldn't, uh, he can't speak it well enough to present his own testimony. That's the thing. And so he, his wife could, she worked as a, he was an RN. I can't believe people aren't fighting over him. And he's an RN, but um, his wife is a midwife and her English is strong enough that they could, but they wouldn't allow that because he was a person that was referred in. So he missed that opportunity because he didn't know English well enough. So we really need to work on that. But these things do happen. And the guy that got that UNHCR referral to Germany, oh my gosh, I can't even tell you like what literally, like what a miracle that is. So anyway, so that's where we're at. Yeah. We're continuing to go on and uh, I just need to, uh, I've been, I think getting a little bit better about focusing and uh, it, it sometimes it's a little hard because there's things that come up and have to be addressed right then but anyway adventures afghan adventures in pakistan this is what we're doing we'll just see what comes next we will see what comes next it's just kind of weird because they'll just send me sometimes they'll just do things and now they're like in a different country and like okay how did this happen and i don't even know and so uh things change all the time all the time just kind of have to like look at each day and then see okay what, what comes next so Anyway, but I think I'll call it a day because I'm over an hour right now. But um, thanks for watching, and I'll see you next time.